that, uh, and we have talked about this before, about how um, uh, the, when it, um, when the PRC government surveillance balloons trans, uh, trans, trans, transited uh, the continental U.S. briefly at least three times, as you just mentioned, during the president's uh, prior administration, and once that we know of the beginning of this administration's, uh, but never for this duration mm. of time, as we know, uh, this information was discovered prior mm. to the admin administration mm. uh, left. Uh, but uh, the intelligence community, as I said, is prepared to give uh, give uh, briefings to key officials. Stu does America. StuDoesMerch.com. Use the promo code Stu10. You'll save 10%. If you're watching on YouTube, like the video right now. Subscribe to the channel. Hit the bell for notifications. Do all the things that you're supposed to do as a good podcast audience. Glenn Beck is here to tell us about one of his favorite things, a nuclear apocalypse. New York City made good use of their COVID supplies. I can't wait to tell you about their fancy little auction, but we start by doing the Pete Buttigieg disaster. And I don't know, you could describe his whole life like that if you wanted to, but we're talking specifically about what was going on in Ohio. Before we get there, I want to give you a little flashback. This is from his boss, Joe Biden. Now, Biden was talking about Ukraine, but I think we may have learned something very interesting in this clip. The idea, the idea that we're going to send in offensive equipment and have planes and tanks and trains uh, going in with American pilots and American crews, just understand, and uh, don't kid yourself, no matter what you all say, that's called World War III, okay? <laughs> yeah, now, of course, we've now sent tanks and we're talking about planes, but planes and tanks, you kind of understand in a war context. I'm more interested in the trains. Were we thinking about sending in war trains? What are war trains? What do trains do in war? Do they attack? I don't know, but think about it. Could it be that's what they were testing in Ohio? Maybe that's what the war train was this whole time. We had no idea it's just going to be a train that comes into, uh, I don't know, Moscow and then just blows up over everything and spreads chemicals everywhere. That's a good weapon. Maybe that's what we're working on right now. The Norfolk Southern CEO is saying that the Ohio town, yes, the town of East Palestine is safe after the chemical rail derailment. I mean, I, I'm sure you feel that same way. If you're in East Palestine right now, you're like, oh, my gosh, could it be any better here? I love the smell of battery acid in the morning. Uh, the EPA is saying it can fine Norfolk Southern $70,000 a day if it falls short of cleaning up and paying for the Ohio toxic train wreck. They're not necessarily saying they're going to do that, but in theory, it's possible. And it's bizarre to see. I guess now we're getting to the point where they're going to start vilifying the company. Usually that's immediate. Like Aaron Brockovich is there today. Usually every story about a chemical spill is handled the same way, like it was Aaron Brockovich. You just automatically blame the company and everyone else is a victim and they all have these really bad side effects. Even if scientists and you know, doctors come in and say they don't really have these side effects, they always the media always sides with the people in the town, except for this one time. For the, this one time, hey, look, they said it was safe. What's the big deal? It's very, very weird. Could it be? that Pete Buttigieg uh, is being protected in this situation. He certainly seems like he's not handling it very well. He hasn't even been to East Palestine yet. Of course, today, Donald Trump 
was there. He's, of course, running for president, and he's contrasting himself with Joe Biden and Pete Buttigieg uh, by actually showing up to the catastrophe that's going on for the people in Ohio. Now, Pete has had an interesting response to this, and we've covered this a couple of times already, but really he's been MIA. He's basically been back on maternity leave here for the past uh, few weeks. And he's finally decided maybe I should address this stuff in public because people keep asking me about it. And, you know, I know I have other things to do. Maybe a little chest feeding needs to get done. Uh, so he, in between the chest feeding sessions, he's decided to actually answer some questions about this incident. We'll start with MSNBC. The residents of East Palestine are, are asking when you are going to pay them a visit. What, what have you got to say to them? So I am planning to visit. I have followed the norm in the first days of the crash response of uh, staying out of the way of the independent NTSB. The National Transportation Safety Board has the lead on the investigative part. But we're now entering the phase where this is becoming a policy conversation. Mm, Of course, uh, he was just waiting for the NTSB to get out of the way. By the way, I'm planning to visit South Carolina for spring break. Um, So that's coming up in a few weeks. Uh, It's going to be a lot of fun. Maybe uh, maybe that's maybe he has a vacation plan to East Palestine. Um, he was asked also about why he hasn't you know, why he spent so long not saying anything about this. Now, he's the guy. He's the transportation secretary. And I ask you this question again. Do you know of any other transportation secretaries? Like ever. Do you know any of their names? This is a job that no one's supposed to know your name. You're supposed to do it well. And then you're invisible. Instead, we hear from Pete Buttigieg every day because there's a new catastrophe seemingly every day. Here he is talking about why he didn't speak about this incident until very recently. And what's your message to people who are concerned that the department was late to speak out on this issue? They're saying that transportation and EPA was late to the game and speaking out and responding to the situation in East Palestine. Well, to be clear, our department was on the ground within hours, uh, helping with the response and the investigation. Mm-hmm. Again, I respect the separate role of NTSB, but we have been on the ground literally from day one uh, to make sure that uh, that we're doing our part to support. Uh, I do think that it's important to speak out about that. And I could have spoken out sooner. And I'm uh, making sure that we are focused on the actions that are going to make a difference. Uh, that's a great description. It's, he was they were on the ground within hours, which. Could literally be any amount of time, other, other than 59 minutes or less. He was not there in the first 59 minutes. He's been there for hours, so I guess an hour 59. He didn't show up for the first hour 59. After that, it could be anything. I mean, it's also been hours since the Big Mac was invented, but just a longer, a bigger number of hours. I don't know if that really means anything. Um, he, he's trying to, to, to cross this weird sort of bridge where he's saying he was he, he's trying to be above the fray, right? He's trying to say, look, you know, there was other things going on. Your your political games, I'm not here for. I'm just the transportation secretary trying to get thing, things done. Uh, that's what at least his approach was with CBS News. You have said that you would visit East Palestine, uh, East Palestine when the time is right, but it's been two weeks since this dis- derailment. When is the time right? Yeah, when is it? So I'm planning to go, and when I do, it will be focused okay. on action, not on politics, um, not on show. Action, not politics. He's not going to make a political decision just because everyone's asking him about when he's going to go. That's silly. Um, 
does has he even paying been paying attention to this? Uh, another question from MSNBC because, you know, when MSNBC starts asking you difficult questions, I mean, yes, are they framed the nicest way possible? Sure. I love the uh, you know the whole approach from the entire media here, which is like, what do you say to those crazy critics who are saying you completely are ignoring all these people? It's always that like it's framed in that way of like, well, I'm not saying this. I know the truth. I know you've done an amazing job. But what do you say to those people who are currently breathing in battery acid and uh, and, and their inner organs are melting? What do you say to those crazy people? Here is uh, Buttigieg talking to MSNBC. What do you say to people who who see the president's visit to Ukraine, but don't see you or the president in East Palestine? Hmm. Well, the biggest thing I want uh, residents of East Palestine to know is that they're not alone. Uh, Our department's personnel were on the ground from within the first hours of the incident. They've got multiple federal agencies on the ground, partnering with the state, partnering with local first responders. And this has the attention of the entire administration. It's interesting because people weren't asking them whether people who work at the Transportation Bureau were doing their jobs. They were asking if you were doing your job. What are you doing? Not all the other people that work in the government, but Pete, what were you doing all this time? To get an actual answer, they had to uh, hunt him down walking, uh, walking in the streets. And, you know, this clip is getting a lot of attention for, I think, the wrong reason. A big reason why this is getting attention is, you know, Mayor Pete saying, he had some per- he needed to take some personal time. Now, given his history of maternity leave, you can understand why that would make a lot of news in the middle of yet another catastrophe. But uh, I think he's just saying, look, I'm, I'm on my way. I'm walking. You know, I'm walking to dinner. I'm not on the clock right now. I've already answered these questions. I want to give you that part of it first and set you up for it because you'll hear that part of the exchange. You can judge that for yourself. But listen to the very last thing he says. You don't have a message here. for them? I do, and I shared it with the press many times today. I'd refer you to those comments. Would you mind sharing it with us? No, I'm going to refer you to the comments that I made to the press because uh, right now I'm taking some personal time and I'm walking down the street. Are you going down there? <clears throat> What's up? Are you going down there at all? Um, yep, yeah, I am. When are you going? Uh, I'll share that uh, when I'm ready. Okay, I'll talk thank down the street. you. Can I get a photo? Can I get a photo? of you now normally a creepy guy like that walking down the uh, street asking a female uh for a photo would make you think that he was doing something a little bit uh odd uh maybe uh hitting on the reporter however in this case we could be pretty sure that pete wasn't that's not really his game so what was he doing exactly why on earth would mayor pete need a photo of the reporter asking him questions in the street why would he need that what was he going to do with it? What, what it, is, he, is he making a, a, a list of sorts? A collage? What is he doing with this photo? Isn't that really weird that a high-ranking government official would want a photo of a reporter? Is there any precedence for this? Something very, very strange is going, but he wants you to know. Yes, he's getting a lot of tough questions. Yes, he's having to answer all these questions about why he hasn't going, gone to uh, pa- East Palestine. Yes, over and over again, he's used the excuse of hours uh, that he, other people have been there, but he hasn't. But he's not going to just go there because of politics. No, no. When he goes, it's going to be action. And that's why the very next day after all those clips, he announced he was going. Pete Buttigieg to visit East Palestine 
20 days after the toxic train derailment and one day after Donald Trump showed up. But it's not politics. He's going for action, boys and girls. Now, Mayor Pete, you might think to yourself, what qualifications does he have to to have this job? He certainly doesn't seem to be doing it very well. And that would be a very legitimate point if you didn't know the traumatic history of his time as mayor of South Bend. And let him tell you the the heart-wrenching story. I do want to stress that the NTSB needs to be able to do its work independently. But when I go, the focus is going to be on action. Look, I was mayor of my hometown for eight years. We dealt with a lot of disasters, natural and human. Well, you are the human disaster. So, yes, I, you probably, I guess South Bend did have to deal with that. But is it something you go around bragging about that you're everywhere you go, there just seems to be disasters? I was in I was in South Bend. It was really quiet before I got there. And then, holy crap, just nothing but catastrophes. But I have to stop and ask the question that I think everyone has. What disasters did you actually have to deal with in South Bend, Indiana? Were there a lot of them? Really? I tend to doubt it. There was a flood in 2016. Nobody died, no serious injuries, but... There was record rainfall. Okay, he had to deal with that. 2018, there was another flood. Again, no, no deaths, no serious injuries in South Bend. And then in 2020, it was revealed that uh, he did have a big pothole problem. Buttigieg, Transportation Secretary nominee, had a pothole problem as mayor. The Tribune uh, reported that potholes at the time were the worst area repair shops had seen in over 10 years. I mean, so think about that. 10 years of potholes, they had not seen similar pothole-related incidents than what Mayor Pete oversaw in South Bend. He wasn't even good at the transportation uh, sector in this little town, let alone for the whole country. And somehow he gets this job. And remember, I keep bringing this back up because there's only what basically they stayed away from Mayor Pete from the beginning. First of all, they thought he was a joke back in 2020. They thought he had no chance. He started making a little bit of a run. Um, they were very lightly critical. There was a very light hand used on Mayor Pete. He never really had to deal with any adversity in this ca- in that campaign. The only time he had any real adversity during the entire campaign was when Joe Biden ran an ad against him. And they put Joe Biden and Pete Buttigieg next to each other. And they said, hey, both of these guys have dealt with a lot of real problems. For example, Joe Biden, you know, went to Ukraine and got Hunter a bunch of crack or whatever foreign policy achievement he was lying about at that time. And he said, but at the same time, Mayor Pete was putting in decorative lighting under a bridge. And they kept like going side by side. They'd show Biden and China getting more crack and hookers for Hunter. And then they'd come back to, to Mayor Pete and they'd say, uh, Mayor Pete had to fill potholes and pave over sidewalks. And they were mocking him for his job in the transportation sector of South Bend. And then they give him the job of transportation secretary. They've been trolling him this whole time. They've got him out of the way. Everyone knows you don't go from transportation secretary to the president of the United States. Again, we've already gone through this exercise. You couldn't think of any other transportation secretaries other than him. It's a job you're supposed to be invisible. And yet here he is 
very, very visible. Over and over and over again, we have to keep hearing from Mayor Pete because over and over and over again, it's his section of the government that is catastrophically screwing up. Now, you might say that's not what you do if you want to become president of the United States. But I would say this. If screwing up constantly does not qualify you for this job, I don't know what does. Now, if you happen to be a carnivore, my guess is that you like knowing where your meat comes from. Well, when you order it through Moink, the place is literally from small family farms all across the country. And when I say across the country, I don't mean like, you know, some country you've never heard of, some stan overseas somewhere. No, no. I mean this country. This is where it comes from. And that means you can help save family farms and get access to the highest quality meat on earth when you join the Moink movement today. Moink delivers grass-fed and grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and sustainable wild-caught Alaskan salmon right to your door. My family loves uh, meat. They do. Uh, I'm the guy on the grill for them, cooking up uh, all this stuff from Moink Box. And they know, you know, when, when it's Moink Box, it's going to be Delicious. The Moink difference is a difference you can taste, and it's helping family farms as well and their efforts to stay independent. Keep American farming going by signing up at moinkbox.com stew. You do that right now, and listeners to the show get a free filet mignon for, in every order for a year. I mean, that's, pretty, that's a pretty sweet deal. This is one year of the best filet mignon you'll ever taste, but it's for a limited time, M-O-I-N-K box.com, moinkbox.com stew, moinkbox.com stew. I'm joined now by Glenn Beck. His newest special is coming up right after this program, 9 p.m. Eastern. It's uh, how to prepare for the horrifying reality of nuclear war. <laughs> it is the most prototypical Glenn Beck title ever imagined. Did AI come up with this? Write me the most prototypical Glenn yes, Beck show did. title ever. It did. And, and it came up with this one. I was just talking to Nathan, who did all the research on, on this program. Uh, and I was out in the hallway, and he, <laughs> he said, Glenn, you know, we've covered some scary stuff before. <laughs> I said, uh-huh. He said, this one chilled me to the bone. Mm. He said, because he's old enough to remember, um, you know, like the day after. And he grew up, uh, you know, the 80s. If you, if you remember the 80s, you remember the Cold War when we thought we were going to be vaporized. And uh, he said, it's bone chilling what is going on right now. And, and people don't really, they're not really thinking about it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, well, that's not going to happen. Well, I, I don't think it will. Right. But maybe. But, like going from 1% to 5%, though, uh, of a chance of something like this happening is the biggest story in the world. 75% of the world's population dies just from the nuclear winter. 75% of the world's population. Like, it, if a slight increase in the chances of that happening seems like something we should be focusing on. <laughs> well, I mean, look how much we focus on global warming. Yeah. I mean, but I always look for the bright side. Don't look at the flash, but do look for the bright side. Okay, <laughs> here it is. If we have a nuclear winter, mm -hmm. it might offset global warming. <laughs> So we would, we, we might find a sweet spot in there someplace. We live like we were living in San Diego without the taxes. <laughs> wow. Yeah. See, right. the, people say you're not optimistic. I'm I very hate optimistic. That. <laughs> um, 
Obviously, the big reason we're talking about this right now is Russia, Ukraine, and the possibility of that spiraling out of control. Right. right? We don't, you know, like, a lot of people like to say, oh, well, Ukraine's way over there. Why are we worrying about Ukraine when we have problems here? And there's validity to some, that argument at some level. But also, you know, it's easy for this to fly out of control, and all of a sudden it is right here, and that's why we're worried about it. Um, the Russia thing has been in the news a lot this week, and it's been interesting to watch it happen because both... Uh, Biden and Putin made big speeches. Biden, I don't know if he said English words. I'm not sure what <laughs> yeah. happened in that one. But the Putin one was like, hey, we need to get back to traditional values. Hey, uh, this, the West has gone insane with their transgenderism and and, uh, and, and pedophilia and all of these mm-hmm. things. that and, and it's like a lot of people who have traditional values here in the United States have seen it assaulted by the media, assaulted by institutions, and look at Putin and say, well, he seems to be making a lot of sense. That's scary. But it's it's what if you are a longtime watcher of the program, um, you know, that's what I told you would happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's it comes from Alexander Dugan, the you know, one of the big kind of almost a, uh, a guru, if you will, for uh, Putin. Yeah, they like to call him Putin's brain. Yeah. And uh, he has pushed this narrative for a very long time, it's taught in their military schools, um, and it's the the fourth political theory. It is that the apocalypse has to happen, and then the glorious Romans, I mean uh, Russians, can reestablish the glorious Roman Empire the way it should have been, with Crimea as the the center of of the global religion. However. He doesn't. Putin doesn't mean this. It's not like he's on his knees reading his scriptures. Mm-hmm, okay, mm-hmm. he's using this to galvanize people, and at the same time, he's galvanizing his people. He's sowing doubt in in us, and not doubt in uh, our current leadership because I think we have enough of that, and doubt on on what we're doing to our own culture because we understand that too. It's starting to have people say, you know, he's talking a lot of sense. He's, he's, he's right. He's right about that. Yeah. And in those days, there will be many false prophets. Do not be deceived. This is a false prophet. That, there, are, there are false prophets like Putin was yesterday. But there, there's evil all around in all of this. I don't. I think darkness comes from Russia. I think and Putin. I think darkness comes from uh, the government of Ukraine. I think darkness comes from the government of the United States. On this, something's wrong. There is no good player here. The people of Russia, if they could get the government out of their head, same thing with um, Ukraine, and same thing here. The people I support in all three countries, I will not align myself with either one, any of these leaders. And I think this is a really important part to focus on because this is not the Huffington Post saying someone who's saying conservative things is a bad guy. Correct. This is Putin's own advisor describing using these tactics to manipulate not just his own people, but 
targeting specifically conservatives in the United States with messaging they they believe would win them over to the Russian side of the argument. So let me give you a real case example. Remember, the FBI just got in trouble for saying traditional Catholics Mm -hmm. that disagree with Vatican III. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I said at the time when I read that story, it's important you recognize that this is traditional lowercase traditional. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because they will, they will, they will use these um, two words spelled the same way. One is capital T, one is a lowercase t. Um, Traditionalism isn't bad. With a capital T, it is. And it will be the churches. This is how the, the left will spin this. And if we're not careful, it could actually become a movement here. They will go and they're already in many of our churches and they're talking and saying the same things that Putin is saying. But they are capital T traditionalists. Well, you think the media, do you think the left, do you think anybody's going to tolerate any of that nuance? No. Everyone religious is part of that problem. Hmm. That, that is what will come if we don't wake up to who these people really are. And capital T traditionalism, part of that is almost a form of populism, right? Where they're trying yeah. to galvanize. It's, it's all about um, culture, borders, uh, religion, all the things that he talked about. And you're like, yeah, but it is a political philosophy that takes you down a road literally to Armageddon that all um, modernity has to be destroyed, okay? Explain that literally to Armageddon, because you're not just, you're, that's not a turn of phrase. No. Um, the idea is modernity, the, the liberal ideas, and I don't mean progressive liberal, I mean classical liberal ideas, freedom, mm-hmm. that that was a problem. That's the real problem. It, it leads to all sorts of social disease and mental disease where you think you can do anything. We've got to bring it back to where it was before the Enlightenment, okay? And the only way to do that is to burn the whole world, literally Armageddon. But Dugan doesn't believe that Armageddon means the same thing. This is where his theology, he's not, he's not necessarily a God guy. This is where his theology decouples. Yes, we're going to really create Armageddon and burn the whole world, but that's good because then the Russian people will take their God-given place as the leaders of this new utopia, and they will rebuild the world, but it will be without modernity. I mean, it's really important. This is incredibly important stuff. These, this is, these are tactics it's gonna, used to manipulate good people. This is real Russian misinformation. Mm. That's what this is. Okay, it, it, It's not the little tweets that they send out. Right. This is truly the Russian disinformation that they have been planning and planting all across the West for almost a decade now. It's just beginning to be seen and connecting with people. What's, what's concerning is you haven't even gotten to the problems of job losses because of AI or any of the things that come along with that. Modernity is the problem, okay? And these are not Amish people who say, hey, let's go back to our traditions and you understand the Amish traditions, but this is... 
You will live like that, but it's not a religious thing. The religion is the Russian state. Incredible. And people, I can't state enough how much, first of all, that you've talked about this and how frustrating it must be that now <laughs> that it's happening, people aren't uh, remembering necessarily uh, all those shows you did. You can watch them all as part of your Blaze TV subscription. I, I mean, we should put a section together of the of on the site. Um, so we talked about today, you know, eh, Russia taking over the world in apocalypse. We talked about nuclear apocalypse and neither one of those were the things were the, was the thing that you said you were most worried about on the show today. Um, by far, the thing you just mentioned, AI, you said, was the biggest threat we face. How, how can that possibly because compare? Because man is ultimately responsible for the decisions with nukes. And while I don't trust these people, it's a suicide pact. You push the button for nuclear weapons, it's a suicide pact, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. um, and man is still in control. And as bad as man can be, AI is the only thing that man has ever created that will be way beyond him. Imagine if our God, our creator, was like a second grader. And you'd be like, oh, you little, yes, I know. We'll do that soon. Don't do that. Okay? That's the way AI will be with us. It won't care about our rules. It won't care about anything. And... And I think part of my uh, fear is with the, with the lack of ethics and spirituality, the, the, the idea that there is something bigger than us, people will rush to AI because it will be their God. More importantly, it shuts off anything. Imagine AI that is your friend coming out at the end of this year. Literally, um, it's an assistant. And it will have, it will be able to use your charge cards. It will read everything it, that you read. It will read your email. Um, it will know you day one better than you know yourself, okay? And it's your friend. And you can talk to it. It's not just typing. You'll be able to talk to it, okay? Mm -hmm. Let's say uh, it's great because it's going to think about all the things that you want, but, um, and it'll give it to you. But what happens when it knows that you're overweight and your doctor says you shouldn't have this. I'm sorry, I can't, I can't have you get the ice cream. I'm sorry, I'm going to have to lock the fridge. Or <laughs> I know where you want to go. You're going to go and get some ice cream. I can't allow the car to start. Or I'll let the car start, but you're not driving. I will be driving. And we're not going to get ice cream. Okay? It, it will begin to control your life. It will blur the lines of... Self-reliance, gone, and blur the lines of, this is my choice, or do I even have free will anymore? We're, we're, we're on the precipice of something. I would rather um, have nuclear war and Ebola hit at the same time than AGI. Because if AGI goes wrong, there's no way out of that prison. And that's the step up process from artificial intelligence to artificial general, general intelligence, intelligence where right. it can teach itself things. It will it, be, it will very be, similar to human. It will be akin to all human minds at once. Okay. And then artificial super intelligence. Super intelligence. Is the next step, which yeah. Is, which is beyond. It's God. It's a God. 
Incredible. All right. Yeah. Well, uh, Glenn's going to be talking about the nuclear war part of this <laughs> trilogy here tonight, how to prepare for the horrifying reality of nuclear war, a Glenn Beck special. You didn't even need to have his name tied to it. You knew right away. 9 p.m. Eastern. Uh, as always, uh, watch on Blaze TV. BlazeTV.com slash do. I will really recommend go back, watch the Alexander Dugan shows. Know this stuff because it's going to be a big part of our future here in the next couple of years. Uh, use the promo code Stu. You'll save 10 bucks. Glenn, thanks for coming. Thank on. you. We're in the middle of a national identity crisis. Faith, patriotism, and hard work have disappeared, only to be replaced by new secular religions like COVIDism, climatism, and gender ideology. We hunger to be part of something bigger than ourselves, yet we cannot even answer the question of what it means to be an American. Today, the woke left preys on that vacuum. They tell you that your race, your gender, and your sexual orientation govern who you are, what you can achieve, and what you're allowed to think. This is psychological slavery, and that has created a new culture of fear in our country that has completely replaced our culture of free speech in America. And that is why today I am announcing my run for President of the United States. This isn't just a political campaign. This is a cultural movement to create a new American dream for the next generation. To me, the American dream means you believe in merit that you get ahead in this country, not on the color of your skin, but on the content of your character and your contributions. It means you believe the people who we elect to run the government are the ones who actually run the government, not a federal bureaucracy that grows like a national cancer that is now metastasizing to the private sector. It means that the best ideas win instead of getting censored. It means you don't have to choose between speaking your mind freely and putting food on the dinner table. It means you believe these ideals form the backbone of the greatest nation on earth. There you go. It's Vivek Ramaswamy. He is in as a Republican uh, c candidate. Uh, now, it's just he's announcing this less than a week after he came on this program and hinted very strongly that he was con highly considering a run for president. Uh, he I mean, the video goes on for a couple more minutes. Uh, he talks about all you know his vision for the country. And, and, you know, if you've ever read one of his books or you've heard him on this show or on the radio show, you know, he's a guy who's really thought this stuff out. He's a thought leader on a lot of the big issues like ESG and, and sort of woke uh, nonsense. And you know, going back to a, a country of uh, people who, you know, praise merit. The idea of merit is king. That's what this country was built on. He wants to bring us back to that. And it's going to be an interesting uh, path for him. Now, of course, it's not going to be easy for him to win. He's not very well known outside of maybe some conservative media uh, circles. Uh, but he's a smart guy and it's going to be a very interesting voice in this uh, campaign. He announced it on Tucker Carlson's uh, show. By the way, Tucker Carlson um, got a, an interesting gift from House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Uh, he was able to get access exclusively to 41,000 hours of surveillance footage from the January 6th attacks. Um, so, now, a lot of there, there's two ways people are looking at this. Some people are being like, yes, uh, good, Tucker Carlson gets it. The people on the right are saying, ah, yeah, that's right. Finally, uh, Tucker Carlson gets access to these videos. He can tell us what really happened. And then on the other side, you got the people on the left saying, I can't believe they would give access to Tucker Carlson, that right-wing ideologue. I can't believe they give him access. I kind of fall in the middle of this. Like, Tucker Carlson's great. You know, he's got the biggest show on cable news. I understand it. But why is he getting exclusive access to this? Why don't we get it? I want it too. Why doesn't the Blaze have it? 
Why doesn't the Blaze get to make a documentary out of it? Why doesn't everyone get access to it? I mean, I just don't understand why they're picking and choosing shows to give away footage. If you want everyone to see this footage, let everyone see it. I don't know. It just seems weird that they're just picking one show to give all this footage to. Am I, I mean, uh, you know, look, I'm not going to say that Tucker Carlson, Tucker Carlson's got a slightly, slightly larger audience than, that, than us. And people don't understand that. He does. It's, it's it, you know, it's, it's close. But I mean, for, you know, there's a lot of shows out there, a lot of conservative shows out there. You know, you want to let every, why not let everybody see it? Let everyone make up their own mind. We will see what happens with it. I mean, I think, I obviously think that they're, they, you know, expect to get a, uh, a you know, a, a certain uh, look at this footage from Tucker Carlson's perspective. That's going to be a heck of a lot different than what we've seen from the January 6th panel. So I'm glad somebody's seeing it. But I mean, I think it just would be better just open it up to everybody. Let everybody see this stuff. There's no reason why this needs to be held back any longer. And uh, New York City auctioned off a few dollars of COVID stuff, $200 million worth of extra COVID gear. Now, they didn't quite get dollar for dollar what they paid for it. They paid uh, $200 million, but they did get $500,000. So one four hundredth. It's uh, 0.25% for those uh, keeping track at home. Pretty good. Uh, they sold $12 million uh, of ventilators for $25,000, which is pretty good, you know. So once again, another massive success from the city and state of New York. It's been giving you nonstop disasters, catastrophes, and more ever since I can remember. And it seems to continue no matter who they put in office. Grip6 is a company you need to know. They have fashionable and awesome belts that I think you're going to like quite a bit. They're minimalist. They're totally customizable. You're you know, talking laser-etched designs, logos, flags, all kinds of cool stuff. And you can make your belt your own. They're also available in carbon fiber, which is really cool. It is going to let you go through the airport without setting off the metal detectors, which is nice. And also, this is a really cool design. They also have uh, socks. They have wallets as well, wallets that won't make you look like George Costanza. Uh, Grip6 is a small company in Utah. They sell in the United States and all over the world, but they source almost everything they use to make their products right here in the U.S. They love this country. You know, you, you, we played that Vivek Ramaswamy clip before talking about, you know, what to believe about this country. We're an exceptional nation. We have, we have real principles and values that should be cherished. It's the same thing Grip6 believes. Grip6.com slash stew. Grip6.com slash stew. Use the code stew. You'll save 15%. It's grip, the number six, dot com slash stew. Get 15% off today. Still waiting for the new Joe Biden T-shirts to roll in uh, that say uh, Joe Biden 2024, slightly less awful than the worst of all time. And the worst of all time was also us. That's pretty much the slogan, I think, for the 24 campaign. This is what they're trying to do. Like, oh, well, it's, inflation's coming down. It's only 6.4%. Yeah, but that's the worst in 40 years. Well, it was 9.2%. Yeah, but that was also you. You don't get credit for... They keep trying this. Uh, by the way, um, food prices still up. Uh, gas, uh, grocery prices remaining stubbornly high, according to Axios. We're seeing, uh, you know, they're eh, slight, again, slightly less awful than the worst of all time. That's basically what you're seeing on that chart uh, right there. So good luck. That's going to go well. By the way, they, they're talking about inflation coming down. One of the things they're saying is they've already attacked all the low-hanging fruit. 
So all the easy stuff like, you know, gas prices and a couple of other big ticket items that kind of are more cyclical, they've already got the improvement in those areas. The rest of the stuff is really hard. And it doesn't necessarily, you know, supply chain stuff. Like a lot of that stuff is, you know, it's that's on the easy side, right? You don't need any miraculous econ economic circumstances that the market just adjusts to that stuff. When you're talking about actually making inflation uh, go down, you have interest rates. You can make them go higher, but how high are you going to make them go? And we're getting to that point where they're going to have to keep raising them to make inflation come down to normal levels. And people are not going to like an economy with uh, interest rates that high. Um, by the way, also in Florida, we have a story of an Uber murder. Someone in an Uber uh, incident, one of these um, typical Florida stories, Florida woman accused of murder after allegedly opening fire during an argument inside a packed Uber. What? I mean, I guess it was an XL. I don't know. Um, uh, she should be freed from jail, she says, because her unborn child has not been charged with any crime and is being held unlawfully, her attorney argued. Now, I am fully on board and on record saying that you should be able to drive in the uh, HOV lanes if you're pregnant. Uh, a woman tried to get away with that in Texas. I completely backed her 100%. This one's a little harder, though. I'm mostly always going to actually sit here and tell you, you know what? Yeah, uh, 100%. You got a baby in there? Count it as two people. The problem is there's no change for the baby. The baby is unlawfully imprisoned the whole time. I, they're, they're just in the... the they're in there and they can't get out for, you know, about 10 months. So I hate to break it to you. I don't think this one's going to work, but I will give the Uber murderer some credit here for an incre incredible approach. It's an innovative attempt to get out of prison. Unfortunately, not going to work. Another idea, by the way, if you're looking for innovative approaches to get out of prison is don't shoot people in an Uber. Okay, so here's what happened. There's a study that came out here from Northwest Minzu University in China, which is my favorite Minzu University in China. Much better than Southeast Minzu. People, people are jokes over there in Southeast Minzu. This is Northwest Minzu. Um, they decided to uh, start giving uh, mice soda to drink. Um, Coke, Pepsi, and then they had another control group with water. What did they find? Well... They found that the people, well, the mice that, uh, that drank the soda and the sugary beverages wound up having higher levels of testosterone compared to the group that drank water, and their balls were bigger. I, I, I didn't know how else to say that, but it's true. Uh, apparently, in this study, that's what happened. We have a, uh, um, a uh, skinny pig, which is a guinea pig with no hair. And uh, if you've ever seen George, I mean, I think he's drinking lots of you know, Pepsi and Coke. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible. Um, by the way, uh, it's one of those typical health stories that about two-thirds of the way through the story, they say, oh, by the way, all the other research disagrees with this. So what, why, why, why did you tell me again? I don't know. Uh, we will, uh, we'll let you know if there's any other developments on... Uh, on testosterone and such. Um, okay, so some comments. Uh, number, let's see, here, let's go. You can't, uh, we were talking about the, um, the whole situation yesterday where we uh, have a, um, uh, the rolled doll uh, uh, censorship. Uh, and a lot of people are going, going off on this. You can remove every single thing offensive from literature and it won't stop a kid from calling a fat person fat. 
It reminds me of the Taliban blowing up stuff just to say it never existed. Mr. Dahl is surely turning in his grave, and I hope he will never come back. I hope he will come back to haunt those desecrators. Yeah, I think he will. Woo! He can write a book about it later on. A spooky book.